All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week we are reviewing the movie The Longest Days starring John Wayne and every other actor from the 1960s. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) And uh, this week we are graced by the presence of one of our guests who's been with us before. Uh, Blake from the World War II Airborne Demonstration Team has uh agreed to come back and review another movie with us blake welcome and if you'd like to tell the people a little bit about yourself uh go ahead hey guys great to be back i appreciate y'all having me again um i'm a member of the world war ii airborne demonstration team so we're based in frederick oklahoma and we actually jumped from world war ii era c-47s we have a c-47 named boogie baby and a c-49 she was a dc-3 but turned into a c-49 when she entered service uh, her name is wildcat and we actually use both of them we jump from them uh, original world war ii era gear we we try to remember honor and serve our veterans both world war ii and all other conflicts so we uh we're, we're, we're all about all about airborne and all about parachuting so it's it's fun to get to talk about another airborne movie, but partial airborne movie, a couple scenes in there. It's still a it's still a pretty airborne heavy movie, I think. But yeah, absolutely. yeah, we definitely we definitely get multiple facets in this one. So was this movie for you? Uh, did it really get your your blood pumping? Because did did you say you have uh, another jump school coming up soon? We do early October. I think the 6th or the 7th is when I'm heading out there again for 10 days. And uh, that, that's our October jump school. So we hold we hold two jump schools and a team meeting a year. So our team, we call it our April safety stand down and uh, team meeting is in, in a- April. And then we have a July jump school and an October jump school. And those uh, th- those are open to the public to sign up for, to come, come learn how to parachute, get five jumps out of a C-47. And uh, so, yeah, that one's coming up in October here. Get, get, gets my blood pumping. I'm ready to jump, man. I'm excited for it. So does uh, something that I think was a little heavier in this movie was uh, the presence of gliders, kind of like when we reviewed A Bridge Too Far last time. You guys have any plans of adding a glider to the fleet at some point, or is that a little too risky? You know, I, I have mentioned it to a couple of people saying how cool it would be to have a glider. I have no clue how the FAA works or something like that. But, but man, uh, I, I've thrown the idea out there. Just don't know if it'll ever come to fruition. Oh, what does the FAA care? They let people build airplanes in their garages. Like, <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. Nothing's impossible. That's fair. Well, thanks for coming and joining us again. Uh, you bet. Jack, let's start off with you. What did you think of this movie? I liked it. The, Care to elaborate? The scene, wanted, the scene I wanted to bring up first was the Nazi <laughs> Ober-Lieutenant. I forget his name. But he was like, nah, the Allies aren't going to attack. If they were going to attack, they were going to attack in May. Now, if you excuse me, I need to go buy my wife some shoes, as it is her birthday on this day, June 6th. <laughs> I think I think that was supposed to be Rommel that said that line. Or, Rommel? Yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, that's... The uh, the amount of exposition in this film is, is just... 
off the charts. Like, I feel like that's the the sole purpose of John Wayne's character in this movie is uh, he doesn't really like progress the story along in any manner. He's just there to like <laughs> give you speeches to like bring you up to speed on what's going on. Right. Like the, the scene when they're in the, the hangar and they're all playing with the little cricket toy things. And he's like, this is so you don't shoot each other, gentlemen. And it's like, is there anything else to this, this chat or is, is that it? Oh yeah, we need so to one thing about that. that uh, one thing about those crickets, it always gets me when I see these movies. And with anything I'm about to say, I am not a historian by trade. There may be something wrong in what I say, but to my understanding, I'll, I'll give it that to begin with. To my understanding, I don't think the 82nd Airborne even had those crickets. I think it was mainly a 101st thing. And I, and I could be wrong about that, but I know, I know, I do know that it was not the typical one click followed by two clicks. You hear everybody say it was one click followed by one click, then two clicks followed by two clicks and so on and so forth until the two guys or however many found each other. That's such a common misconception they, they put in these movies. And so everybody repeats it. And every time I'm just kind of like, Oh, that again. Well, I mean, the movie does allude to that just a teeny bit because there's a scene where they do the the cricket and they don't get a response and they're like, oh, maybe they're British and they don't have them. So, I mean, there right. was that like one moment, which also is a hilarious scene where you have, you know, the file of American paratroopers walking past the file of German troops along a fence and they're just both too busy looking up at the sky to notice that their enemy is right there. Right. And then... Yeah. The, uh, the sorry man the, the lack of lack of moonlight that night i bet i uh to my knowledge it, it was not not uh not 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 real bright out so probably couldn't even see each other just germans assume they were germans and americans assume they were another another platoon of americans right yeah and them walking right by each other hey those guys were germans and i love how his i love how his teammates just kept walking because like he turns around he's like i think those are germans and he looks behind him and like everybody he was with had already left he's like guys come on (laughs) i didn't i didn't like it didn't occur to me that this movie was using the Hollywood darkness. I thought they were just that stupid. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, definitely the Hollywood darkness. You know, full moon illumination <laughs> flare sort of darkness. <laughs> that that uh, that reminds me of that uh, that scene from Man of Brothers where uh, Dick Winters is with that I, I don't remember random PFC. And the PFC is like, we're, we're lost, aren't we? And he's like, he's like, no private, we're, we're in Normandy. <laughs> well, at least we have that going for us. Yeah, at least we got yeah. that going. So far, so good. So was there, was there anything, Blake, that like when you watch, like I'm guessing you've probably seen this movie before, but hmm. when you watch this movie, was there anything that you got that was like new to you? Cause I, I definitely learned something. I had to like look something up like the, 
French actually having members in the SAS and having like French paratroopers jump in to Normandy right. was was like a new thing for me to to learn. Like I know it was a multi-nation effort, but the the individual stories that they chose for this I thought was kind of interesting. So I was just curious if there's anything new for you. Right. So so the part of the movie that I really like to see is showing how many nations were involved in the invasion. Um, you know, seeing, seeing the Scots come on shore, seeing the, the, the French, the, the British, a lot of the times the focus is on the U S and our involvement on Omaha and Utah beaches and, uh, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So it was nice to kind of see it touched on in various, various, uh, various nation, nations that were involved as far as, you know, I, I can't speak to the other nations cause that's not, not really my, my speciality, you know, uh, American airborne is, is more what I try to study. And this movie, it, 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 there were so many moments where I was like, okay, did that really happen? I need to go look that up. You know, did, did, uh, did this really happen? Yeah, I need, I need to go research that and, and come to find out there's just so much stuff that was just kind of thrown in there for action movie sake that didn't actually happen. Um, you know, like there was one scene on, on, uh, Omaha beach where they're dragging these inflatable boats up on shore and, uh, it's, it's Omaha beach. They came, came on shore and these landing craft. And I'm just like, wait a second, is that some kind of like, you know, bundle of supplies? And I was like, no, it's an inflatable, inflatable raft they're carrying on shore. That makes no sense. You know, it's, it's Normandy. There's no more bodies of water further inland that they're going to need to traverse. Like that didn't happen. I mean, to my knowledge, again, I could be wrong, but I, I felt like that one little moment was like, imagine <laughs> being the, the si everybody else gets to go on Higgins boat, except for like you and your squad. It's like, fuck <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. You Going made fun of the, the boat. You don't get a ride. <laughs> yeah. That's what you get for Channel drinking the last Channel. of the coffee and not replacing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, you know, some other stuff as far as the, the, the movie goes. I mean, th there was a lot of stuff that, that kind of created some questions and it helped me to, to want to go look some things up. But whomever was in the, the wardrobe and props department gets a scathing review from me. Um, almost nothing about the uniforms or the equipment for both the American infantry and the paratroopers was, was correct. It was like, okay, I've got to not be a stitch nazi here and like overanalyze <laughs> everything just enjoy the movie because i was like about to blow a blood vessel over a couple different things i think one of the things gear wise that stuck out to me was like it seemed as though every single paratrooper had a thompson submachine gun yes yes yeah i was i was like i get it they're cooler like more actiony if you will but it's you know the the, the primary expensive yeah i'm yeah. curious if maybe they just bought like a half dozen thompsons and just like every time they filmed the scene they're just like here you go like my <laughs> big thing was every guy that had a thompson also had a, a m1923 cartridge belt and i'm like that doesn't fit thompson mags and yeah, they're all empty too so there's no ammo in them I did notice that too. Like you have a, you have a rifle belt for your Thompson. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing, kind of touching on the real history of, of, uh, of, of paratrooper operations during, during the invasion, 
I don't think anybody who jumped who was in immediate combat had Thompsons. I, I believe that they were up at higher levels, like battalion level sort of a thing, or, or maybe that was 1911s, I'm not sure. But everybody thinks that every paratrooper had a Thompson in a 1911. And that was maybe the odd case, one guy, but your average run-of-the-line infantryman all the way up to NCO and officer level carried M1 carbine or M1 gram, 99% M1 gram. Huh. <laughs> I don't but they're not as cool. Gun Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I see. I, 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 this movie, as much as I like it, it brings out my gun Nazi and my stitch Nazi in me. <laughs> I'm usually like, I'm usually like the fence sitter when it comes to things like that. Where I'm like, you know, you know, that that's all right. You know, I, I guess that's cool that you want to have a shoulder holster when nobody had those in Normandy. But you know, okay, do your thing. And then there are the occasional moments where I would like dive headfirst off the fence sitting straight into the stitch Nazi position. I think my biggest like pedant moment in this movie was the scene where one of the paratroopers is like crouching in the dark and he pulls out his clicker and he clicks it and he hears the two click response and he's like, he lets out a sigh of relief and he stands up and he gets shot twice. Yeah. There's two gunshots and he falls over and he's like, but I heard the clicks. And then he just like, <laughs> just like, yeah. Um, and then you see a German soldier walk up. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, you see him rack the bolt on his car 98 and mm. it replicates the click clack. And I'm like, one, the, the car doesn't do that. And two, yeah. the car is a bolt action. Why did it shoot twice? Like, right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That, uh, that was one of those Hollywood, Hollywood moments where I was just, you know, my face was in my palm for a minute or two. See, uh, I I didn't catch the car. It was the rifle making that noise. I thought he was just an at really smart soldier <laughs> who somehow figured out in the course of a couple minutes that that was the signal, got his hands on one of those clickers, and then used it to kill soldiers. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's the interesting thing about it. A lot of people think that those... Those clickers were uh, uh, a children's toy. Like, like people said all the time, it was a children's toy. They gave them it last minute. It was actually a, a musical device, like a meant for keeping time, you know, uh, trying to keep the... Uh, oh, like a metronome deal. Yeah, a metronome type deal. That, that's what it was meant for. And so some somebody got the wise idea of using it as a signal device. And so it was the 101st Airborne Division. They ordered a ton of them. Most of them were silver plated or that nickel plated, you know, not, not the gold color you see, you know, everywhere, but kind of nickel plated color. And, uh, and so that's how it came to be. They, they weren't a children's toy. They were a, a musical device. Well, if any of our fans at home are interested, you can get a clicker from Amazon for about $12. So, yep. Damn inflation. They used, to, I remember when they used to cost five cents. Go back to bed, grandpa. <laughs> Apparently, you can just use a car 98. Why even go to Amazon? <laughs> yeah. it, that was one of the, the most produced rifles to a time. Mm -hmm. I yeah. it, it blows my mind. Granted, this is a little bit of a deviation from the movie, but like 
I I enjoy myself firearms and like I I have a good number of them, and I I tend to lean towards the older guns. Like I I like guns with historical value to them, and Absolutely. one gun I one gun I've always wanted was a, a car ninety eight, and ten fifteen years ago, you could get a car ninety eight for like hundred or two hundred bucks because it was one of the most widely mass produced rifles ever. Like I have a Russian Moisin Nagant, which is what uh, the Soviet Union used during World War II. And I bought that for like 80 bucks and all of these like old, like beat to hell rifles from World War II that there are literally tens, if not hundreds of millions of, they're mm-hmm. like six, seven, $800 now. And I'm like, this is such yep. bullshit. I was like, yep. I remember but, probably six, oh, going ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was, I was going to say, I'm like, on the plus side, though, if I ever decide to sell my Moisin, I can at least turn a profit on it. But Man, I had the idea probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or more now, 15 years ago. I mean, I was young dude and like telling my mom, I was like, look, if you get a crate of these Moisin Nagants that you can buy them by the crate, they're like $1,200 for a crate. They literally had a crate of them sitting in my local hardware store. You could go in, pick one out of oh, the crate, still in Cosmoline for 80 bucks. Yeah, there was a time where there wasn't a sports shop in America that didn't have a dozen of them on the rack. Right, right. I told her, I was like, you could get a crate of these, and then like 10 years, you'll be able to make 10 times the amount, and we should have gotten that because we, we, we would have turned profit for sure. <laughs> they're six $700 now. I mean, they're 540 something for a Mosin last time I looked. Insane. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And like I said, when I got mine, it was 80 bucks. So, <clears throat> right. But the last time I looked for a, a car, um, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole because I was like, okay, maybe I can get one cheaper if I don't get like a German produced one. Like maybe if I get a Czech or a Swiss car, I can get one on the cheap. And once you start going down the the car rabbit hole you'd notice you'll find that there's actually like a really big collector community of them like the mm. hardcore people that are like i want one from each nation like there were car 98s in service up until the time saddam was in power like wow like no joke there are car 98s out there stamped with saddam's iraqi army symbol on it wow <laughs> those ones are a little more sought after but i was like it, it, it just doesn't matter. It, it Everybody wants them. Right. But. Jack, what was your, uh, what was your favorite scene in this? Had to have been the landing scene with all the paratroopers and just seeing all the zany situations they ended up in. Like that guy that crashed through the chicken coop and was trying to quiet them so he didn't give away his position. Yeah. That poor bastard that got the one in a million that ended up in a fucking well. <laughs> See, I need to know if that's actually true or not. Because if it's not, <laughs> that's going to be another baseball moment. If it is, then I'm amazed I haven't heard of it yet. I mean, it, it had. <laughs> there had to have been at least one. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, the one paratrooper who landed and got his chute snagged on a church and was stuck yep. up there for like eight or 10 hours with the, the yeah with the ringing bells like that was a real event that actually happened 
Um, if I'm not mistaken, though, he didn't link up with his his own troops. He got captured by the Germans after the fact. But if you go over to Normandy today, they actually have a effigy of him in that same on that same church. Like they they got like a crash test dummy and dressed it up as a paratrooper and have it hanging from the side of the church now to right. commemorate that event. <laughs> yep, they sure do. If I was yeah, that you're, guy, you're, you're I don't think on. I'd want. If I if I was that guy, I don't think I'd want that moment of my life replicated. <laughs> Yeah, genuinely. I, I mean, you know, what worse of a spot can you be in than than on high in front of a bunch of armed armed Germans that are there to kill you? But yeah, G- he survived that. Yeah, that that's the, the amazing part, you know, to, to my knowledge. He basically played dead and had those bells ringing in his ears throughout the whole night. Couldn't hear a damn thing the next day. Uh, that, that was one part of the, the the movie did get fairly correct. So that was that was interesting. And then, and then there was that one guy, I think my favorite one, who landed just in front of German high command and was immediately captured the second he touched the ground. Right. And they're like, who are you with? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just got lost during training. Right. <laughs> uh, good old British humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope he made it out of the war. Hopefully so. Blake, what about you? What was your uh, favorite scene in this movie? I got to say, it was not a movie until Sean Connery showed up and they started playing bagpipes. <laughs> you again. Yeah. When uh, when the bagpipes started playing, that's when I was like, okay, now, now we're getting somewhere. Um, I don't know. It had, a, it had a lot of good scenes that I really enjoyed. I, I liked, uh, I liked kind of the, the real wide angle, like sliding camera scenes where you know, they're, they're rushing the, the, the beachhead on Omaha. And uh, uh, that, that scene, again, with Sean Connery, of course, just because. And, uh, uh, yeah, th- those two for me are, are really my favorite ones. I, I, again, I'm trying to find the, the good. I, I enjoy the movie overall, but but it was like, okay, that moment, oh, there's, you, this moment's cool. That moment, there's a, cool. there's a lot of problems in this movie. Yeah. My uh, my favorite scene was the entire sequence of uh, when they were taking Pegasus Bridge. Right. Um, I thought it was really cool that they filmed that actually on site with the exact like with the exact same bridge. Like they they filmed that scene in France where that actually occurred. No kidding. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Um. The thing that that killed me with that scene was uh, when you see the glider landing, as soon as it like hits the ground and you see it like crashing through barbed wire, it you see that scene and then it cuts to like a German like looking over like, huh? And then you see that like it just started that like scene again of the glider crashing just again, like they just filmed like five seconds of this glider rolling along the ground and they use like three or four times just starting it from the beginning again right guys can we just change it up you had to have filmed the scene with more than one camera choose a different angle like right right but that the the whole pegasus bridge thing is uh it's actually one of my favorite stories or events from d-day so it's really cool 
to see it in this movie. I honestly wish that that operation, that particular part of D-Day had its own film, but you know, absolutely. I, I, I don't make those decisions. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. I'm still firm in the belief that they need to make a uh, a movie about Jake McNasty McNeese. And if anybody doesn't know who he is, look him up. That's an incredible winner story. of the best nickname award. Yep, uh, Filthy Thirteen, Jake McNeese. We actually so fun fact: his picture and his signature is inside of our C47 Boogie Baby. So when I'm jumping, he's one of the pictures that I look over at. You know, I'll be standing up in the stick, getting ready to jump. And, you know, you're, you're nervous, of course, when you're jumping. So, you know, those nerves are always going to be there. And I look over at the pictures of these guys. We have, you know, dozens, dozens of signatures and pictures of these veterans that have come to visit the plane. And especially seeing Jake McNeese's picture and his signature is, is one of those motivational things to see that gets you ready to go out of that plane. But, yeah, man, a movie about him, that's one I would pay for big time. I will say uh, I never understood the in, the importance of uh, the monkey bars at the childhood playground until I saw this movie. Yeah, because <laughs> with I with Pegasus it. Bridge, you had like two or three of the uh, glider troops just like monkey swinging across the bottom of the bridge. Like, we'll get the explosives off for you, Captain. Yeah, I remember looking <laughs> at that and thinking, no, I couldn't do that. No. <laughs> um. The other really cool part of it is so the the commander of that operation, uh, Major Howard, um, he I forgot what the name of the actor was who played him, but the actor who played John Howard in this film was actually an enlisted soldier who participated in the taking of Pegasus Bridge during World War Two. Really? Yeah, so he like that's what he did during World War II, and then he got into acting after the war. And then when this movie came up, uh, the producers they actually offered him the ability to just play himself in this movie. And he's like, "I'm a higher class actor than to play myself because it, it would just be like a background character type deal." And he's like, "I want right. to play Major Howard." And so they're like, "All right, whatever." Like, right, but. That was one of the yeah. the cool like to think because you know there wasn't a lot of guys that participated in that particular operation because it was like a grand total of three gliders that did it right so i think that was like 60 or 80 guys right right that's incredible they included him like that and that he was around to do it into that level that's that's something i didn't know about it very cool But is this the uh, the part of the show where we're going to talk about every single stupid thing that Bug does now? I know <laughs> yes. we've already done it. Now's the time to air grievances. <laughs> I will start. All right. The green screen. Anybody notice the green screen at the beginning yes. of the movie with Rommel? <clears throat> I, how could well, I not? Like, God, I, I will give them credit is a 1960s film is probably like very beginning of green screen technology, but did nobody notice in the editing process when he Rommel's in the middle of his speech and he just disappears from the screen for like 
30 seconds and he just pops back up. I had a double take when that happened. Yeah. I was like, wait, what just happened? And no one bothered to fix it. Yeah. I thought I lost a contact or something. My eyes are messing with me. Nope. Green screen. Jack, what was your, your biggest grievance in this film? Had to have been that. Yeah. The very obvious green screen and the miss that whole mistake where they just didn't fix it. <laughs> Must've been tired that day and didn't want to edit. I think another thing that really bugged me, and this is where it gets to be pedantic too, is uh, the scene with the Luftwaffe yeah. pilots. Um, you can see in the background, the airplanes that are on their airfield and they are German airplanes. So to their credit, there there is that, but they were trainers. Like mm. they were just, they, they just grabbed random airplanes and threw some German paint on them. And they're like, look, fighter planes. And it's like, no, 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 it's not. Right, right. And like, I appreciated what they were trying to show with their only being the two pilots. Like, because at this point in the war, the Luftwaffe was very heavily decimated and had very <coughs> limited resources. But I mean, they were still like a formidable force throughout the entire war. It's just up into the point of D-Day, a lot of people might know this, but Jimmy Doolittle, the guy that led the raid on Japan at the beginning of the war, actually became involved in the 8th Air Force after he got back to the United States uh, and then went over to England for the daylight bombing campaigns. And he completely changed the, the doctrine of the fighter pilots over there because before he got there, the doctrine of the fighter pilots was do anything to keep the bombers alive. And then when Jimmy Doolittle got over there, he switched it to your only objective is to destroy German airplanes. It's like, whatever happens to the bombers happen. And he's like, it's like, if there's no German airplanes and you don't have to protect the bombers. Right. So by the time D-Day rolled around, at least the Western half of the Luftwaffe was pretty heavily decimated. But, you know, to say that there's only like two available aircraft is a gross, like misunderstatement. Right. And they did like that one uh gunning run what's the word um strafe sweep strafe that's it hmm. they did that one strafe and they're like yeah we won let's go home <laughs> oh in for the luftwaffe let's go home boys <laughs> that needs to be surely this won't have any repercussions <laughs> blake what was your <sighs> what was one of your big beefs with this movie yeah, man, you know, my uh, my whole thing, just like you mentioned with the, the Luftwaffe aircraft, it, it's like I know the movie has good and innocent intentions and in what they're trying to, to portray, but it's, it's, it's almost conflicting because it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier about how they casted somebody who was actually at Pegasus Bridge and took the time to go there and film on scene, but yet they were so careless with so many other parts of the movie. 
And, and like, see, this is my thing as far as the, the living history community goes and, and keeping history alive. I know this movie was made in the sixties, but I'm going to kind of compare it to today. Like what I try to tell people as far as I go is like, like I'm a civilian. I, I'm not here to portray myself as if I, you know, current day I am in the military because I'm not, what I'm trying to do is give the public a, something to visualize of what a paratrooper looked like, what they did during the war so that they can learn from that. Otherwise I'm just playing dress up if I don't get things correct. And so that's kind of where I have to be, excuse me, a a bit of a stitch Nazi is because if I'm not portraying them correctly, I'm giving the public an image that isn't correct. It isn't what, what those guys actually look like, what they did. And, uh, and I'm kind of more or less playing dress up. So it's almost like if, if they would have packaged the movie as just like you're running the mill, you know, hour and a, hour and a half, hour and 15 minute action flick, you know, and it been fictional, I probably wouldn't have cared. But but it's like when you put a three hour movie about, you know, a day where 4,000, 5,000 lives were lost, it's like put, put a little more effort into the detail. You know, that, that, that stuff matters. I think one of the biggest things for me is is just like, like the airborne, those guys were, I don't know what to call it other than like a, a soup sandwich. <laughs> it's just like, like airborne tab was like five inches above the actual patch on their shoulders and like wearing M1923 haversacks. I, I don't know. Anyway, it was just, it kind of took the belief out of there a little bit for me where it's like, you know, one day, one day worth of research like literally send two guys to a museum, to a library one day and you'd have had a totally different movie. Well, the crazy thing is they, <laughs> they made this movie in a time frame when there was a ton of guys who lived through this still alive. Right. right. Like, yeah, but John Steele, the guy on the church was still alive when this movie came out. Right. And yes, I just looked that up. You, you could have seemed so much more smarter if you hadn't mentioned that second part. Wait, which yeah, part? Yeah, but the part that... Um, if, if I hadn't mentioned the part where I just looked it up, I would have seemed smart, yes. But then again, <laughs> I, did, I didn't say anything when we were talking about him 10 minutes You are ago. not here to betray somebody smart. <laughs> it ain't my job. I'm the lovable comic relief. But yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm by no means a military expert, hence the armchair commanders in the name of this podcast. Yeah, no, me either, man. Me either. And that's the whole thing is like, I, I hate to be a stitch Nazi like that. It's just like there are some times where, where you're like, oh man, I can't, you know, I, I can't hold it back. It, it, you know, it, those little things, yeah, there are certain things you can let pass, but you know, when, uh, when a movie that's obviously got that big of a budget doesn't put any effort into it, it just, I don't know, it kind of bugs me. That, that was my big thing. Man, leave well, it to the Germans to give us a brand new suffix to use when someone's being anal retentive about something. Hence, yeah. soup Nazi, <laughs> stitch Nazi, gun Nazi. God bless. Yeah. Nazi, Nazi. Wait, what? <laughs> if this were YouTube, like, you'd be totally demonetized by now. Which brings the question, like, before 
Germany had their little episode. What was the word for someone being needlessly anal retentive and authoritative? Probably, like probably just a dickhead fact, or something. Before before Hitler came to power, the comparison for someone um, being too authoritative was the Pharaoh from the Bible. Hence, why. Um, so what, uh, we're Abraham just... Lincoln's nickname among his enemies was the American Pharaoh. Oh, I thought we were just going to go around calling people Ramses when they're being a dick. <laughs> I don't remember who the Pharaoh of the Bible was. It was it was Ramses the third, I think. But yeah, is, he, is he the, was the Bible Pharaoh. 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 He was the go to bad guy for many a year. Fun fact, Ramses has a uh, a passport. Like Oh yeah, like I saw Ram- that. They yeah, issued Ram- him one so he can Ramses mummy has a passport and uh his occupation is deceased royalty. Oh gosh. Yeah, pharaoh but in parentheses deceased. <laughs> yeah, and his age is like circa 1000 BC or something. <laughs> I want to see what stamps he's got collected. Uh, oh, I bet he's been everywhere. You, uh, last time we talked, you you said your your trip is next year, right, Blake? Yep, May thirtieth of for uh, Netherlands. So Netherlands is in September of next year, May thirtieth through I think June twelfth or thirteenth. We're going to to Normandy. And boy, it is panning out to be one really incredible trip. We're uh, pretty pretty much everybody that's going. I, I don't know the exact numbers of how many are going. We're all flying into Paris and then uh, taking buses out to, to Normandy itself. And I'm trying to remember the name of the chateau that we're staying in. But <clears throat> essentially, the team has just leased out a big chateau. And, it, you know, I know that sounds like you're going to get pillow top mattresses and room service, but you know, it's going to be a, a barrack style deal where you just set up cots and, and, uh, you know, same, same deal we have at the hangers type type thing, but it is a you know, original know. French. As, as long as you got, as long as you got clean sheets and some cold water to drink. Yep. And, and the, the chance to jump into Normandy. Yeah. Chateau de, de Plan Marais. I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation of that, but but anyway, we're we're getting to do some incredible jumps right now. There's the potential for us to do a couple couple jumps on uh, a couple original drop zones there, two cross channel jumps. It looks like where we actually start in the UK and cross the channel and see 47s and jump into the in which drop zones. I still don't know yet. That that's still kind of up in the air. But uh, th- there is the chance for us to do a drop at Mont Saint Michel, which. Uh, it wasn't a drop zone during during the war, but it's it's a pretty remarkable place to get to see and and not only see but jump with it in the background. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but but it's a it's a beautiful place. Uh, I'm I'm super excited to get to jump there. And that's for the Dang. the 80th anniversary of D Day, right? For the 80th, that's correct. Now, is that something the team does every year, or is it like the the big the big anniversaries? So, 
there are other teams over in France that, that, that do it once a year with the World War II Airborne Demonstration Team. We go over there usually every five years. So the, the, the big anniversaries that happen, you know, the 75th, the 80th, and then eventually the 85th. Um, this one for me is really significant. You know, I know the one in his uh, 75th anniversary in 2019 was massive. And, and I hate that I, I didn't even know ADT, the World War II Airborne Demonstration Team. I didn't even know ADT existed at the time. So I, I missed that opportunity just by not knowing about it. But uh, this one for me, being the 80th anniversary of D-Day, this is probably and unfortunately the, the last time that there will be living veterans from World War II there. Um, if there are any that are able to make it at all, you know, I, I would be very surprised if there were any that, that came after the fact because these, these men are you know, pushing 99, 100 years old. So it, it really is kind of the last opportunity, you know, for me to get to go to that, that sacred place, sacred place where, you know, something that significant happened and get to shake their hands. So I'm, I'm very, very honored and excited to get to go. Oh, that does. That's amazing. Yeah. It does sound like a spectacular opportunity and, you know, they're definitely, it's interesting to think about how, you know, like, when I was a kid, you know, there was just World War II vets everywhere. <coughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think it was summer of last year when the last living Medal of Honor recipient from World War II passed away. Um, I thought it was the last Medal of Honor recipient from the Pacific. I think it was the war total. Maybe it was specific, oh. but uh, he was a flamethrower operator on Iwo Jima. Yeah. Oh, uh, Woody Her- Herschel Woody Williams. Uh, is that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He got his Medal of Honor uh, by taking out like a dozen pillboxes in one day. Right. Like he would go through one flamethrower tank and then like run back, get a new one, come up to the front, take out another pillbox, run back, get another, just like all day. Right. Yep. That's him. Herschel, uh, Woody Williams. He was Medal of Honor recipient. The last um, living member of the Band of Brothers died recently too. Mm. I don't, don't remember who it was. I remember seeing that. That was like in the last year or so, I believe. Right. We we just we lost a couple guys very near to near and dear to the airborne community. One, um, Vince Brands, a gentleman I've always always wanted to meet ever since I heard his name and heard his story. Um, for those that don't know his story, he, he was the the famous GI toting a helmet full of beer he found in a blown up bar in Bastogne that he carried it into the uh, church, which was being used as an aid station and gave some of the wounded, his you know, fellow wounded soldiers beer from his helmet and kept going back and forth from this blown up bar <laughs> with you know, helmets full of beer. And they actually made a beer post-war. They made a beer and uh, I think it's called airborne beer. They made a beer over there and, uh, and named it airborne beer and put him on the front of it. And he never knew it until he went over there in, in his older years. He never knew, you know, that they all thought it was a rumor and he goes over there and tells the story and they're like, wait, you're the airborne beer guy. We thought that was, you're just the made beer up. 
damn it, where's my royalties? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> where's my royalties? No, we, uh, for our, our social media pages, we, we posted a bunch of stuff uh, when he passed away. Mm. He, you know, he was, you know, he was one of the very, like, prominent and vocal members of right. the veteran community who was still, you know, talking and giving, talking about his experiences in the war um, right. up until, you know, he passed away. So, you know, he was a very, very familiar face in the the history circles. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's just such a shame and so unfortunate. You know, that's the that's the thing about this this life. None of us make it out of here alive, and right. uh, yeah. it's just such a shame. You know, to see these guys going. That's that's why I like. Yeah, if there's an opportunity, if somebody's out there and you you know of a World War II vet, you know, go talk to them. It's it's your final chances to get to hear those stories or get to visit with them or just show your appreciation for what they did. It is uh, time is of the essence. And and that's the thing for us as a team, you know, the, the motto being remember, honor, serve, you know, the, the, that motto gets even more true when, when all of these guys have passed away because, you know, that's uh, our mission is going to become even more important to, to try to keep their memory alive, to, to, you know, to, to proliferate it, to, to help the public see it and, and remember what they did. So that, that really is the goal with us is to, is to, to try to keep, keep the memory alive, keep them going. That is uh that is great. What you guys do. I think I really started to note, like, you know, it's something we've talked before about on this show, but it, it's not something I really thought about, like kind of popped into my head until this weekend, actually, um, for our listeners at home, if you follow us on Instagram, I posted a picture um, this weekend. I or the weekend that we recorded this episode, uh, I went to a local airport because uh, they're doing kind of like a pseudo mini air show type deal where they had a bunch of old airplanes coming in, and uh, <coughs> one of the aircraft they had was a C forty seven, and it was the C forty seven. That's all, brother. So I went or went over and took pictures of it and, you know, just climbed in and out of it and all that stuff. And uh, I had been going to these kind of events since I was a little kid. And uh, I remember like one of the first times I ever went to one of these events, I was like seven or eight. And I went with my dad to see the Collings Foundation's uh, bombers. And I remember as a kid doing that event, like, there were just veterans like everywhere. Like everybody was wearing a hat, like I'm a 101st veteran or, you know, just says Pacific theater veteran, or I'm from this, just everywhere. And when I went this weekend to go look at these airplanes, you know, there's a lot of older guys there, but like the only veteran hats you were seeing was like Vietnam or desert storm. And it was like, there's zero world war two guys out there. There were zero Korea guys out there. And I was like, Oh yeah, they're, they're all pretty much are gone now. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the unfortunate thing is like, uh, with, with me, for instance, you know, I know I've had the thought many, many times, right. Where I'm just like, you know, I'd like to, 
set out one day and just go talk to as many of them as I can, like I've seen other guys do. And you kind of have that thought of what, well, there's time, you know, I'll, I'll get there, you know, and, and I had, I told you guys last podcast about a, a couple very dear friends of mine that were uh, veterans in the second world war. And, and, uh, and so I did have guys that were really close to me, but the, the, the feeling that I always have is I didn't get enough time. I, I wish, I wish I could have, could have spent so much more time getting to talk to them and, you know, getting to, to hear what they, they have to say. But, uh, you know, it, you think you have forever and you don't, you know, there's less and less of them every day. Well, yeah, that's a depressing thought. <laughs> it is. So Jack, so what what's you... everyone drinking? Tonight? Yeah. What's the drinks for tonight? And I'm busy in the getting ready to jump uh, phase of things. So I'm having a zero calorie propel. Uh, Woo. Party hardy. Yeah, party gotta, hardy. Gotta make weight for the, the parachutes. That's exactly right. I, uh, I, I'm i within weight, but I'm trying to get lighter. After I lost 20 pounds between when I first went and when I last went, and realizing how much lighter the landings were, now I'm like, okay, I, I would prefer to be skin and bone so that I can land like a feather. What about you guys? Hi, I'm a, or Jack, you go. I'm drinking both a Leinenkugel and a drink that I call a root Jack. It's a root beer with Jack Apple Jack Daniels. That sounds good. Yeah, it's not bad. Double fisting it tonight. Yeah. I uh, it's la- fuck it. It's Labor Day. Yep. <laughs> In the in the spirit of Labor Day, I I went and bought myself a tomahawk steak to cook up for tomorrow. So oh, that's man. that's going to be my tomorrow activity. Oh man, that sounds good. But uh, my drink right now is I'm almost done with it. Um, it's just a uh, rum and coke, and my go-to rum is uh, Sailor Jerry's. So there you go, man. I've been drinking a lot of Captain Morgan mixed in with Sprite tastes like adult cream soda and it's the best <laughs> have you heard of uh, try that have you heard of this one distillery i forget what state it's out of but i think it's called bound oak distillery and all of their uh all of the so they do whiskey there uh but each one of their bottles is uh, themed for a specific um, like historical event or uh, like military unit. So they actually have like a general patent themed bottle of whiskey called Armored Diesel. Really? Yeah. Um, I remember seeing it on the shelf for all of a week out here. It's pretty popular stuff. Um, but they also have a, an 82nd Airborne themed bottle as well. No kidding. And they have like jump wing, like a real set of jump wings, like somehow affixed to the bottle. But that's that's cool. I need to look that up. That's super cool. I'll uh, think... I'll I'll send it to you so you can keep your eye out for it. Yeah, man, definitely. I think I, I think almost one of my buddies had something like that last uh, this past April when I was out there. 
I, uh, if, if he showed it to me, it was probably on one of the nights I was, and by the way, we only drink when there's no parachute operations, usually at the end, everything. Um, so yeah, it was towards the end. And if he showed me that bottle, I was already drinking. So that's why I can't really remember it. <laughs> remember I almost, similar though. I almost picked up a bottle of, they had like a big red one themed whiskey okay. and, uh, you know how like Crown Royal comes in a in a cloth bag. Mm. Uh, what they did is they took one of those old canvas like canteen covers. Oh, cool! And used that as the the bag for it. Man, that's neat. That's super neat. But fun fact: we were we were not the only ones disappointed by this movie, um, or who shook our heads at this movie. Hmm. Do you know who the, the biggest critic of this film ever was? Who's that? The man, the myth, the legend, General Eisenhower himself. No kidding. Yep, he went, he went to a showing of this movie and walked out on it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, guess, I guess I'm not the only, only uh, dick who's going to be going to be a little bit of a stitch Nazi. I think he was probably feeling the same way. It's I find it hilarious because Eisenhower is in this movie for all of about two minutes. Um, and the producer of this film actually went to him and be like, hey, do you want to play yourself? Hmm. And apparently he was game for it. But they, you know, today you can get any actor to play anything because of CGI. Like, you know, right. Mark Hamill came back for the star Wars TV shows as young Luke. Hmm. Uh, but at the time they didn't have a way to make 70 year old general Eisenhower look like the 40 or 50 year old version of himself. Right. Also, it also didn't help that, you know, Eisenhower was a, like a three pack a day cigarette smoker. So I'm guessing it was like <laughs> a hard. he was like a hard 70, you know, <clears throat> No doubt about it. He's smoking those lucky strikes. Speaking of which, how was the uh, the lucky strikes we sent you? Fantastic. You guys are the best. I really appreciate that and, and definitely appreciate the book y'all sent with it. That was super nice gesture. Made my day, man. I smoked all the lucky strikes. That's Want uh, some more? Heck yeah, always. Because right, I, I got a pack with me that I ain't going to smoke. <laughs> Send them, man. There, I'll, I'll, I'll pay yeah, you. Yeah, there was it, there was a miscommunication way, between me and Jack when we were getting your package together. So, oh man, yeah, y'all are too good to me to even send me something. I really appreciate that. I need oh, to no, get the something. Pleasure's all ours. You I, know, I need to get y'all's address and send you like some T-shirts or something from ADT, uh, just as a gesture back. So we'll, we'll have to make cool. that happen. Re repay us by doing a jump in our front yard. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I want you to recreate the church bell scene with my house. Oh, man. I want you guys to stage an airborne invasion of my hometown and see what happens. You know, I bet you guys could take us. If your hometown sudden, is Frederick. All of a sudden, the tweakers appear forming Wolverine units and it's Red Dawn all over again. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the yeah. uh, Chinese paratrooper. It's like gunning down the truck still in the air. 
See, the scene that I was thinking of where I was the teacher at the beginning of the film that goes out to greet you guys and then immediately gets shot. <laughs> yeah, I'll break out the old Russian camo. <laughs> The least you could do is drop a bunch of dummy paratroopers on them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the the exploding kind of dummies. Yeah. For king and country, Rupert. That, Rupert. I was going to say that's probably the most tragic death in this entire movie is poor Rupert. Oh, Rupert. Rupert yeah. gave it his all. I think yeah, there's, he... you know, in this day and age, there's a company for everything. Because, you know, we got to jump on every kind of branding that there is but there's a coffee company that's called rupert coffee and it's a picture of the the rupert dummies what no kidding yeah so he survived the war and made his own coffee (laughs) (laughs) the story does have a happy ending we don't we're not sponsored by any of these companies but if you feel like (laughs) we could be we could be you know what i bet rupert coffee please for the love of god become our sponsor because i would love nothing more than to say that we're sponsored by a company, a coffee company named after a World War II diversionary device. This program is brought to you by Pepsi. <laughs> Man, if I was, if this program was bought, brought to you by Pepsi, we would not be. <coughs> I, I don't know. I would not be slowly drinking a singular rum and coke. I'd be on my fifth or sixth. So. <laughs> But does anybody else have anything for the good of the order? The good of the no, I just have things that are bad for the order. Yeah. What are what is bad for the order? The the scene I found the most heavy handed is when that German officer slowly puts his boots on the wrong feet and the camera lingers on it so many times and for so long. And then the payoff isn't until like an hour and a half later when that wounded British paratrooper's like, I killed the German. Do you see something odd about him? No. His boots are on the wrong feet. Yeah, he must have been in a hurry. And then, <laughs> and then, it, and then it's, yeah, that, that was in the, like the last five minutes. So those two just chill there until help came. What happened? Yeah. I got to add, go ahead. No, you, you, you go with your thought. I got to add one moment that, that just like bugged the daylights out. of It made me laugh. It honestly made me laugh. Uh, that scene where, uh, what is the name of the town? They're trying to take the casino. It's the... Uh, St. Maraglis. No, not St. Maraglis. Anyway, they're trying to take the casino and they, there's a, a, you know, it's heavily fortified, machine guns on the roof and whatever. And they didn't realize there was a bunker that's been built into the like ground floor of the casino. And, and so it's got a, you know, anti-tank gun, whatever it is. Um, and it shows a scene from the Germans perspective, looking out of the bunker and like inscribed into the concrete is just swastikas and the words, Sieg Heil, Sieg Heil, Sieg Heil, like three times. <laughs> I'm like, come on. It's not like an, an SS division. Like, it's, like were they it's, that it's like bored? That, <laughs> it's like that scene from, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, he's just, just carving, carving a swastika into the yeah. church. Yeah, I saw it, and it just reminded me of like when I was a kid, and my friends and I would like play the Americans and the Germans, and we didn't know any better. You know, you're like seven or eight years old, running around with toy guns, 
And so like, you know, the, the over stereo, overly stereotypical stuff of the Germans where everything has a swastika on it. It just reminded me of that for some re- weird reason, like some art a kid would draw. At least that wasn't as bad as the toy parachutes they came out with. Do you know how many broken arms came from that? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> have uh... you, have, by the way, the, the toy parachute thing, that's a joke, not a real thing. But if you ever I have... I thought it was. If, if you ever have the inclination, go onto YouTube and just look up toy ads from the 50s. And my God, some of these are just ridiculous toys i mean you're just thinking to yourself like how did people not die from this shit right uh, but there's also some toys that you're like man that's really cool i wish i had that um like there was one toy i saw an ad for um that it was like a police detective's kit and it came with like a full-size tommy gun but instead of shooting bullets it was like a like a repeating cap gun type deal. And I'm like, how did a kid not get jacked up? Like, you know, there was at least like one really bad kid who like went to his local sock hop and like tried to rob a convenience store type deal. And you're like, how did kids not die from this shit? Right. Right. But I actually, there's one thing I got that uh, I thought was kind of cool, but it was also like a super niche thing was, like in the 50s and 60s, the Boy Scouts had like merchandise, everything like Boy Scout mess kits, Boy Scout bugles, sewing kits, all backpacks, everything. Um, and at one point there was the merit badges that the Boy Scouts had. Um, I'm at, I was actually an Eagle Scout, but the, the merit badges that they had available has changed over the years, given what ever is relevant uh and at one point uh they had a signaling merit badge where one of the requirements was learning morse code and so a toy that i actually own like that's still in the box and works and all that stuff is a morse code set where you have a little it's basically like a little plastic box with a with a tiny little light on it and then a a tap thing for you to tap out your morse code message right. and it comes with like 30 feet of line so you and a friend can go to different rooms and morse code at each other that's cool that's cool so did you learn how to morse code fuck no <laughs> the, the only morse code i know is sos that's yep. pretty much it and i apparently saw now the v for victory from the movie the dun, 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 dun. i actually yeah. did know that before the movie i watched a ted talk on it how dare they declare dun, 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 dun. how dare they declare victory before they even do the invasion <laughs> it's a little presumptuous i was i thought didn't eisenhower have two letters like depending on how d-day was going to go like he had a success letter and he had a this is all my yeah. fault letter yeah <laughs> so that's uh that's the same as Richard Nixon writing two speeches for the moon landing. One if they died and two if they made it back. Right. Just imagine going up to the podium with the wrong speech in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a YouTube channel that got taken down, but I loved it. That was that was one of the rabbit holes I fell down early on in the pandemic. It's called Vocal Synthesis, and it's a dude with AI that replicates 
famous people's voices. So if you ever wanted to hear it, there's a vocal synthesis of Richard Nixon reading the um, the moon landing failed speech, and it is haunting. It feels like something right out of an alternate history. That's kind so of pretty also, eerie. I'm pretty sure there's also Eisenhower reading the "Yeah, we fucked up D-Day" speech. So it's not the Futurama Nixon of "Aru, our space cadets have died." <laughs> they also have a, a one where he reads a, a clickhole parody article of Nixon's long lost speech, and it's more or less, "Yeah, they died. So what?" <laughs> There's also um, the guy who played Ben Kenobi, Alec McGinnis, uh, reading Call of Cthulhu. And also him doing the, have you heard the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> no, I suppose not. It's not something a Jedi. Uh, yeah, good stuff like that. Highly recommend it. But... It's getting on to the point where I might need to hop off. So do you mind if I read the Rotten Tomatoes? Well, we got to give our ratings. So, all right, give all right. What rating should we give this? Let's have the guest pick. Yeah, what do you think our custom rating should be? Uh, however many paratroopers in a well, I think is the custom. <laughs> paratroopers <laughs> in a well. Fuck. Um, surprisingly this is not the first time we've had a well be a part of our metrics so yeah oddly enough it was the (laughs) our fathers our mothers german miniseries i wonder how many how many times is a well gonna show up in our movies at one (laughs) probably a lot yeah we had uh matthew leach who uh was an actor from band of brothers uh come on for one of our episodes and oh really yeah it was uh for generation war uh, was it was a mini series we reviewed, but our metric for that show was uh, blown up wells. <laughs> he gave it, I think, four blown up wells, and then one where it fizzled out. So four and a half, <laughs> like one it fizzled or it was still ticking or something. But I was about I was fully prepared to get um yeah. So I'm gonna give this four paratroopers down a well and one just barely hanging on for dear life at the edge. Like with his fingertips. Yeah. Like with his fingertips or he's calling out for help. He doesn't care. He, at this point, he doesn't care who is coming from the Germans allies. Just, he wants to get out of this goddamn well. All right. Blake, how many, how many paratroopers in a well? Oh, I'm going to give it three paratroopers down the well that landed in our okay and one paratrooper whose main and reserve didn't open and he's now somehow splatted at the bottom of the well um he, he just like perfectly bullseyed the well yeah down. absolutely just worst luck of all time they added you know what 20 30 God feet damn. to the bottom of the well <laughs> yeah. i i really like this movie it is it is a classic um but it is it is a 1960s war movie in every sense of the word for being the highest budget black and white film up until Schindler's list. So it's actually the second highest black and white budget film of all time. 
it could have been so much better. Um, that being said, I still really liked it, but I think I, I I think I have to give it just a solid three paratroopers in a well rating. (laughs) So I, I go ahead. Oh, sorry, man. I, I, I enjoyed the movie, but you got to take it from a seat of it's an action movie. I'm going to enjoy it for an action movie, a 1960s war, war, war epic, you know, you can't take it as a, it's going to be accurate. It's going to be something to actually go off of, you know, it's which all movies, you know, a movie's supposed to get you interested and then go do your research and learn, you know, what, what you're interested right. in. But just for somebody that's already had that, you know, that understanding of, of, uh, you know, a little bit more in detail, it, it suspends your, let's put it this way. It, it, it takes you out of the, the belief of, you know what you're seeing on the screen so you just got to take it for an action movie hey, another 1960s fun flick but at that it's a good movie yeah it it is a good movie it's just not it's not the greatest movie or the best movie it's right. it's a good movie and it could have been so much better that's what gets yeah. me i think that's what irritates me the most is it could have been it was big enough it was had the right actors it had an era when you can get that sort of gear and equipment for pennies on the dollar and uh it just could have been you know a little bit of effort so much better so jack what is what does ron tomatoes give this well on the tomometer it ranks an 87 percent, but the audience score is 90 percent i gotta go with the critics on this one I I know that's that's against the grain for me, but I think, I think there's gotta be some nostalgia points getting added in there, Mm. but I'm not mad at it, but I'll, I'll stick with my, my three paratrooper rating. Yep. And then stick to your guns. At the end of the day, it's all you have. Be it a Thompson or a car 98. (laughs) (laughs) Click clack. So, Jack, uh, I believe you set up our guest for next week. Uh, Who do we have going on and what movie are we doing? That is a good question. Let me check my messages. Uh, It's to be determined, but... All right, folks at home, it's a secret until next week. Yeah, it's a a surprise. It's It's not not because... History in your mind, and the movie is the sum. All right. So, Blake, uh, same as last time, the the floor is yours to share any social media accounts you want, uh, share social media for the team, and uh, let the people know about anything that's coming up that you want them to know about. Absolutely. So you guys can find me on Instagram. It's uh, at Nice to the Breeze um just how it sounds knees to the breeze and uh, i post pictures of different parachute activities and what's going on and try to teach people a little bit about what goes on with uh the world war ii airborne demonstration team uh uh, adt itself that we we hold a parachute school twice a year in july and october it's a 10-day school where uh you can come out learn how to parachute whole ground school and get five jumps out of uh an original world war ii era c-47 both of our aircraft are are, uh are veterans they both served in combat and uh so you can look up the team uh wwiiadt.org is our website 
and you know, we're on Facebook, on Instagram, pretty much all over there. Um, big events, you know, we're hosting a jump school in October. If anybody is out and around the area, I believe it's October 14th is our open hangar day. It's in Frederick, Oklahoma, about 45 minutes from Lawton. Come out, visit with us, see us get to put in a jump and see the hangar in person. And uh, otherwise, anybody out there, yeah, if you want to come jump, come out. Anybody can do it. You don't have to be prior military. You don't have to be prior parachute experience. Come out and jump with us. It is something you will never forget. Well, all right. Thank you so much again <laughs> for uh, joining us. Yeah, you guys, I appreciate y'all. Uh, for those who want additional content from us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Armchair Commanders Podcast. We also have a YouTube channel called History Apprentice. If you don't like the fact that it's a different name, deal with it. Um, <laughs> I created the YouTube channel before we started this podcast, so it was too much too much effort, air quotes. Um, uh, please, If you like the show, please leave a review. The stars do matter. Uh, if you know anybody who's in search of a new podcast, please share it with them. We always love to expand our listening base. Until next time, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And I'm Blake. Thank you, thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, and we will catch all of you next week. Bye.